0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Her Head and Films podcast. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about cinema, usually art house or world cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, my name is Caitlin. I'm a writer. I consider myself a dreamer. I love literature, art, poetry, and over the last few years, I really have become a cinephile. And I've developed an intense, um, overwhelming passion for cinema and for films. Uh, I live in a rural area in the South. I don't really have access to any kind of cinephile culture. So I don't have anyone to talk to about the films that I watch. So I created this podcast really on a lark in 2016, late 2016, as a way to share my thoughts and feelings and and um passion for cinema with other people and so i don't have any kind of background in film studies i did go to college but i studied literature women's and gender studies so i'm really a self-taught person and this podcast really celebrates the personal the subjective um how a film makes me feel and and all of the uh, things that it makes me think about, and and so that's what I'm trying to share through the podcast, really. Um, if you're new to the podcast and you don't understand the title, it comes from an email that I wrote a friend a few years back. At the time, I was really, really obsessed with films, and I said in that email that, um, my head isn't in clouds, My head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And so, when I got to thinking about starting this podcast, I thought, her head in films, that's just the perfect way to communicate and encapsulate how I feel about films, how I'm always thinking about them, how much they're part of my life at this point, really. If you're a returning listener, thank you very, very much, and uh, I'm really grateful for all of you. This podcast does have a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash films. Patreon is just a website where people who write or create videos or create podcasts, their listeners or, or the people that engage with their creations can financially support them, so you can help sustain the podcast if you would like I have various rewards you can recommend a film to me you can get mail from me you can vote on content you can get access to mini episodes that are about 10 to 20 minutes long if this if this long podcast is just not enough and you need to hear more um, that I have to say um, about films One of the reward levels, you get a shout-out. So I just want to briefly do my shout-outs. Thank you to patrons Jesse, Michelle, Feminist Overlord, Carolyn, Olivia, and Lindsay. Thank you so much for being patrons of the podcast. I really do appreciate all of your support, and it means so, so much. I can't really put it into words. Um, it's so strange to put my voice out there and to think that, like, other people are listening to it. Today's episode is about Sally Potter's 1997 film, The Tango Lesson. On Patreon, I have a level um, where you can recommend films to me, and I'll watch and review them so this film was recommended to me by patron olivia and she wanted me to watch the tango lesson and to do a uh, review of it and an episode about it so i did watch it and as i say it's by sally potter who is a british filmmaker and this film was made in 1997 so it's it's having its 20th anniversary this year which is a little bit of serendipity, I think. I really enjoyed this film, so thank you so much, Olivia, for recommending it to me. Um I'm someone when it comes to films, I'm not very discriminating. I will I'll watch a lot of things that you maybe wouldn't think that I would watch. Like I say, my main focus is art house foreign, or I like to call we'll call it world cinema, really, um, or international cinema, art house. Um, those are my primary interests, but I wouldn't say they're the totality of my interests. I watch all kinds of things. Just a few weeks ago, I did an episode about made-for-TV movies from the 1990s. So, I watch all kinds of things. Um... So I love this idea of people recommending films to me because I like the act of discovery. And I think that's what's so interesting to me about being a cinephile and uh, about being a film lover is that really you're never finished. I mean, there's always a director that you haven't seen. And I had never seen Sally Potter's films. This was my first Sally Potter her most famous film, I would say, is her adaptation of Virginia Woolf's novel Orlando. It was made um, in the early 1990s, and that stars Tilda Swinton. Now, I love Virginia Woolf. I'm a huge Virginia Woolf fan, but I have not read Orlando. I've read a lot of Woolf books. I'm reading right now To the Lighthouse, which is splendid and amazing. And um, I think, actually, after I finish To the Lighthouse, I think I would really like to read Orlando and then watch Sally Potter's film. I can't promise that I'll do an episode about it, but I think I might, you know. Um, we'll just we'll just see, but I'm sort of planning in my mind doing that, because um, Orlando has always interested me, and that's how I knew about Sally Potter, and I knew about some of her other films. So, she's someone who I think is making really interesting films. So, I love that Olivia recommended this to me, and I like being open to films. um, I'm the same way with books, really. You know, you just never know when you're going to discover something. And I would encourage all of you to be the same way. You know, you think, oh, well, this is the genre I'm locked into. Oh, I would never watch a chick flick, which I don't even like that term. Or I'd never watch a romantic comedy. Or I'd never watch a film about boxing. Or I'd never watch a film about tango. And then you watch a film about some of these things. Like, I think Million Dollar Baby is a really powerful film, personally. Or, you know, so try try not to lock yourself into genres you know try to explore things beyond what you think that you would like um and when somebody recommends a film to you and i mean i'm not saying you have to watch it but i think it's sort of interesting to open yourself up to these things and to just to just be open to that to someone else saying hey you might like this film and And maybe you wouldn't normally watch it or you hadn't come across it yet, but I find that you can make some really great discoveries that way. Now, before I get into the tango lesson, I want to talk about the context of watching this film. As I record this, it's August 16th. A few days ago. And it's 2017. I sort of think of these podcast episodes as like little time capsules in a way, sort of capturing my thoughts, things that are going on in the world, maybe. And so that's why I want to talk a little bit about context, because a few days ago, we had an incident here in the United States in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, they There's a lot of controversy in the country right now over Confederate statues, and there's a statue at the University of Virginia. I think it's of Robert E. Lee. And there was a huge rally by white supremacists. Supremacists, uh, people from the KKK, neo-Nazis, fascists. And there were counter-demonstrators. People who went there to protest this rally of white supremacists and they were peaceful and they were protesting and a car went and mowed down a bunch of people and a young woman named Heather Heyer died and she was 32 years old. A lot of people were injured. Um, Some state troopers got killed in a helicopter on the way to the um, protests. So they died as well, two men, two state troopers. And so the man that, you know, drove his car into the crowd, he's in custody. He's hopefully going to be charged with murder, second degree murder, and hopefully put away for a long time for it. So this has been a really trying time. And what's made it more disturbing is that the president, President Trump, basically came out and said that there was violence and there was wrong on all sides and of course that's not true and we all know that that there's one side that side is fascists and Nazis and white supremacists and the KKK and racists and there's another side that's protesting them and standing up against them and fighting against them there's not both sides there is no moral equivalence between those two sides just as during the Civil Rights Movement, there was not a moral equivalence between the white supremacists and the people who were protesting them, like Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X, or, or just the everyday people doing bus boycotts and, and um, sitting at counters in, in restaurants. You do not. They're not on the same level. The alt-left does not exist. <laughs> I, unfortunately, the term alt-left was created by liberals, by sort of centrists in the Democratic Party, as a way to demonize those of us who are socialists, those of us who are leftists, who believe you know, in a living wage and, and universal health care and all these things that would make life bearable for a lot of people and make life better. Of course they have to demonize us, don't they? So we live in a difficult time uh, where the most powerful man on the planet sympathizes with white supremacists and puts white supremacists in powerful positions within his cabinet and within the White House. We have white supremacists throughout the country in positions of power. They're not fringe to believe that they are friends is to be very naive, I think. So every day I watch the news. I'm just. I find it very traumatizing. I find it very disturbing. I find it very upsetting to see the hatred that is boiling over in this country. That is in, that is rampant, and we, we saw this in Charlottesville. We saw how violent white supremacy is and um i don't know what's going to happen uh, it's it's very scary so i watch this film really as a way to take my mind off of the news you know i ask myself a lot like what is you know how you know the world's on fire right now right i mean we have climate change we have Rampant racism and sexism. There's just so many, like, terrible things going on at once. And I just, I ask myself a lot, like, how can I just sit here and talk about films? Or how can I tweet about books or whatever? And I think the answer is that I have to keep living and I have to keep surviving some way. Um, I'm not in the best health. I don't have the best physical or mental health. I wish I could be out there protesting. It's not really possible for me. I, I don't know how to contribute to this. I don't know how to change things. I feel very helpless. I will admit that. But films and books, they help me survive. And they help me live. And so this podcast is personal because... It has to be because I can't look at cinema in any other way except through a personal lens. That's just how it is. You know, I, I can't be academic about it because I'm holding on for dear life. I, I, each day is a struggle, you know, sometimes. And when I watch a film... It's a moment in which I feel happy, or I feel at peace, or I feel joy, or I just feel something besides fear, something besides grief, something besides hopelessness. So, cinema is one of my reasons for living. (laughs) It's one of the reasons I keep going, and it's one of the things that helps me survive. And so I will always talk about it in a personal way because it's, 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 it's life to me, you know, it's air and, um, it's, it's just essential. It's essential to my life to watch these films. I wouldn't talk about them if it wasn't. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the time to say all of this if it didn't mean something to me. And so, it's been a sad week. Sad, sad feels inadequate. It's been a disturbing and devastating week. And every single day that this man is in power is just traumatizing and horrific and terrible. I will say that. I don't want to linger too much on it. I know all of you probably watch the news. I know all of you are probably in the same exact place that I am in terms of not knowing how to deal or how to cope, but this film was a welcome relief from all of that for me, and it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with any of these things that are going on. It is a really great film by Sally Potter and it's from the 1990s and as many of you know i will watch anything from the 1990s i tend to really love cinema from that decade so this is from 1997. it is primarily a black and white film it stars potter herself and it's actually sort of semi-autobiographical in that It is about her relationship with an Argentinian tango dancer instructor named Pablo Verón. And the film is about her learning to dance, him teaching her to dance, and the delicate and complex relationship that forms between her and Pablo it's also about her as a filmmaker because at the beginning of the film, she's trying to write a script and she's having trouble writing it. She's in Paris. This is an international production. It takes place in Paris. It takes place also in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. So we're we're on all kinds of different continents with this film. She goes, one day she's in Paris and she goes to some kind of theater and she sees Pablo dancing the tango with a woman on stage and she becomes riveted and captivated by it and she approaches him for lessons and she wants to learn tango. She also, at some point during the film, because she's a filmmaker, she's playing really herself in this film. Um, she says that she'd like to put him in a film. And so um, the tango lesson, I guess, is sort of the the film that comes out of their relationship. So first of all, the, i'm I'm gonna say that the obviously the central thing about this film is the dancing. So I want to linger on it for a little while because I think films about dance are very interesting. And I myself have watched quite a few. It started when I was little when I watched Dirty Dancing, which I still love, and I really want to do an episode about Dirty Dancing one of these days. Um, I think I probably will. I think I probably have to, and I have to get that out of my system. To even the present day with something like Silver Linings Playbook by David O. Russell. I'm not a David O. Russell fan, but my mom loves Silver Linings Playbook. She's watched it at least a hundred (laughs) times. If it's on television, she's going to be watching it. So I have seen Silver Linings Playbook more times than I care to admit. Because my mom is my best friend and uh, we're always watching stuff together. So she loves the Silver Linings Playbook. And as some of you know, there's dancing in that film. But I think even of something like Black Swan with Natalie Portman or Pina, which was about Pina Balsh, the um, choreographer. Or I even think of like a TV show like Dancing with the Stars and the immense popularity of that show. I have watched a little bit of it. Um, I watched watched a season a few years ago. It was the one with Bendy Irwin on it. Um, I'm not sure why I watched it. I just kind of got into it for some reason. Nick Carter was on that season too. And I love the Backstreet Boys. So <laughs> I had to watch it. But watching The Tango Lesson got me thinking about these films. And even the TV shows. I think there's a show in Britain called Strictly Come Dancing. Or there's a movie called that. That's kind of like Dancing with the Stars here in the States. So it got me thinking about people's fascination with films about dancing and specifically something like Dirty Dancing is is probably the only other comparison I could make with the tango lesson because it's about a woman learning to dance from a man and in Dirty Dancing you had Baby learning to dance through Johnny Castle in this one you have Sally learning to dance the tango through Pablo so those you know that's sort of the relationship that develops but if you think about these films about dance they're very much about the body they're about intimacy they're about sensuality they're they're not just about dance um they're really about human relationships they're about how people connect through the way that their bodies move together and how they communicate with each other through their bodies. Um, How they relate to one another. How they navigate intimacy, boundaries, desire. And you see all of that on display with The Tango Lesson. Um, And that's what I think compels me about those films, is that, I mean, I'm someone who deals with a lot of self-hatred with my body and there's i deal with disability too and so my body won't do the things that i would like it to do so when i watch films about dancing i'm i'm very jealous often like i wish i could dance like that or i wish i could do that but i'm also jealous of the intimacy of how people touch one another if you've listened to some of my episodes especially my episode about Barry Jenkins's Moonlight I talk about the lack of intimacy and the lack of touch in my own life because I just haven't had really strong connections with people or any kind of intimate relationships with other people and um... so it's so interesting to watch films like this to see people hold one another to see especially in the tango lesson when Like Pablo's hand is on Sally's uh, upper back, you know, as he, as they're dancing. And, And, you know, I always wonder what that would be like to have that physical connection with another person. So I think these films sort of, I think they satisfy our own sort of inner craving for touch and connection and physical intimacy That a lot of us, or some of us, myself included, really lack in our everyday lives. But these films can also be about endurance, about pushing the body beyond its limits. If you think about Dancing with the Stars, I mean, they really, really push these celebrities to do things that I don't think a lot of them really should be doing. I mean, there are so many injuries on that show. Um... So people feel this need to really sort of push their body beyond its limits. But that's not what the tango lesson is about. It's much more about the relationship between Sally and Pablo. And sort of how they desire one another. But they don't want to cross that line into sex. I mean the way I interpreted it they seemed more like friends and it felt more like a friendship to me than a romance. I mean it is a romantic film, but um but it's very difficult because Sally is a film director. Sally is someone who's um assertive and it's very hard for her in the dance with Pablo with the tango for her to follow. Because the man in dancing leads. The woman follows. I also got to thinking when I was watching this film. When I was thinking about dancing films. How much these things are about gender. Because it's always a man and a woman dancing. Um, and it, it is with Dirty Dancing. It is with Dancing with the Stars. It's a man and it's a woman. And it's the man who leads. And it's the woman who follows. Or you think of... Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, for example. And, you know, she has that quote where she had to do everything he did, but in heels and backwards. So these dancing films are also very much about gender and about how men and women relate to one another and how they interact and how they balance their desire. Because when you're with someone and you're moving with them and you're touching them, I mean, if you, I mean, if you're somewhat attractive, obviously, something is going to develop. You know, you're going to be attracted to each other in some way. And lot Dirty Dancing is about how that attraction blossoms. The Tango Lesson is similarly sort of about that. I mean, some of these dancing shows, I don't know if it's happened with Dancing with the Stars. I think it has, actually, though. Where sometimes the instructor falls for the student you know where i think i think there's been a few with dancing with the stars where the the dance instructor and and the celebrity sort of fall fell for each other it it you can't help but start to feel something for for this other person and so i think you definitely see that obviously with the tango lesson they start to have feelings for each other but it gets very complicated and so yeah and throughout the film obviously she's working on her script she says that she wants to put pablo in a film and that sort of gets complicated as well what's so wonderful about this film with the dancing is first of all it's set in paris for much of the film so i mean paris in the 1990s it was very romantic i mean i've watched a few french films from the 90s and i just there's something about France in the nineties. I don't know what it is. Um, but Paris is always romantic. it's I have a lot of Paris stuff, like I collect things that have like the Eiffel Tower on it, and I mean, I've never been there. I've never left the United States. Paris always just is part of our fantasies here in the United States. I don't know how people in other countries feel about France or Paris, but there is this dream. In my head of what Paris is. I don't know if that even exists. But this film takes on the romance of Paris. So obviously that aspect of the film is wonderful. Another aspect of the film is the dance scenes, obviously. Sally and Pablo have a really lovely chemistry. Obviously because Sally, I guess she learned tango from Pablo. I mean, Pablo Verón is an actual tango dancer and he teaches tango and he is i think very well regarded as a tango dancer and, and a choreographer so he is an actual dancer he's not necessarily an actor but he is a dancer so sally and pablo have this really wonderful chemistry and there's all these i mean this film is really part musical in a way i mean not that there's dancing not that there's singing but there's so much dancing They dance everywhere. They dance in restaurants. They dance by a river. Um, Where else? They dance at, at an airport. They dance in the rain. He dances while he cooks for her. I guess at his apartment or her apartment. It's just these beautiful little whimsical moments of dance. And... Something that I've always envied about people who can, who dance this way is just when people are dancing, to me, dance is really a celebration of life. It's a celebration of being alive. The, there's a joy about it when people are dancing. And you can see that in these scenes. It's just... You know, everyday life is paused. Everyday life is is frozen, in a way. And these extraordinary dance scenes are allowed to take place in ordinary places. And that's always what's extraordinary about musicals, right? I mean, that all of a sudden, you know, Gene Kelly is walking home in the rain. In the film Singing in the Rain. And a moment that could be very sad or or, um, depressing. Oh, all this rain and it's nighttime. And instead, it becomes a moment of dream. A moment of beauty. A moment of joy as he starts to sing and dance and twirl around a lamppost and... All of the things that he does, and it just captures you and it just warms your heart, right? I mean, I love singing in the rain, it's probably my favorite musical. Um, so, this ordinary moment all of a sudden becomes elevated, it becomes heightened, it becomes extraordinary. And that's what happens in the tango lesson of just these little ordinary moments, and Sally and Pablo dance. And they look so joyful, and they look so alive, and they look so present and happy to be alive. And I always, I envy people who are like, I envy people who like, wake up each day, and they're just so ready to take on the day, right? Like, what is that like? I don't even know. (laughs) I was just writing in my journal the other day, and I was like, how do people live? Like, really, how do they live? I, I don't know. I have such a hard time with it. I really do struggle cuz of different things that I've been through. I've been through like a lot of loss and a lot of trauma and <laughs> I I don't wake up feeling that way. I don't have a lot of moments of like joy, you know, where I just feel so happy. Like I, I mean, they're very rare. You know, I'll have days in my life when I just everything feels really good, but then I go right back to not feeling so great anymore so so when I see these these moments in a film they move me because I don't really feel that I don't feel this like optimism or this happiness or this joy when I'm going about my life and um, I just sort of envy people who do Um, I mean good for them you know and so I, I just love those moments when they're just in the airport or they're in the rain and they're just they start to do the tango. Like it's so whimsical and it's so fun and and um I really love those moments. But it's not all joy for their relationship. They go through ups and downs where they have moments where they're very connected and very um, happy to be in one another's company and then they have much more complicated scenes because that's what dancing is about. You're, you're having to engage with another person. You're having to follow someone else's instructions. I mean she's used to calling the shots. She's used to making all the decisions as a filmmaker. She's used to having that position of power I think. And so she's uncomfortable or i think she has trouble having to maybe submit to him or to let him lead or let him dominate in some way or call the shots you know what i mean not that he's you know terrible or mean or anything like that but i think when you see these dances especially between a man and a woman there is a certain power struggle I think that's going on at times, especially nowadays. You know, when women are not necessarily used to following, they would maybe like to lead too. So, um there's this there's this way in which dancing can be really graceful and really beautiful, and there's uh, another way in which it can become like a wrestling match. In which the man and the woman wrestle one another, in which they become frustrated with each other, or they have trouble communicating, or they have trouble connecting. And you saw that in Dirty Dancing too. You know, they clash, they clash with each other. And you see the same thing in the Tango lesson, where they can have really great moments of. Of connection and 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 fluidity and and they can perform very well together and then moments when they struggle and when they can't they can't communicate properly with each other. Another aspect of this film that's really interesting, besides the dancing, is how it's really a portrait of a woman filmmaker of. A woman trying to get a film made, trying to write a script, trying to find financing for the film. So she's having to meet with Hollywood producers who want to change the script. And who want to completely make it into something that she does not want it to be. Um. So it's it's about her working through her own creative process. And how difficult it can be to be a creative person. Especially within a capitalist system. Especially within something like Hollywood or the film business. You know, I think being a filmmaker is one of the hardest arts there is. Because when you're a writer, all you need is pen and paper. That's really all you need. If you're a musician, you know, you need your... Obviously, you need your instrument or whatever. But when you're a filmmaker, you are so dependent on other people you're dependent on actors to do the performances you're dependent on producers to get it financed you need expensive machinery like a film camera or you know things like that there's so many things in place that there's this ecosystem that is that surrounds a film and you need a lot more resources and a lot more tools and a lot more connections, I think, than you do maybe if you're a writer or a singer or or some other art form. So I was really compelled by how you saw a woman trying to get a film made or or trying to write a film. And Sally wrote and directed this film, The Tango Lesson. And it's also interesting to note that she had a background in dance and choreography. Before she became a filmmaker, she was a choreographer, and she worked in theater and stuff. So she's someone who already had a history with dance, but I guess she wanted to go more deeply into into tango. And it's interesting to think about these art forms, dancing, and filmmaking, and how different they are in a lot of ways. You know, like, it can be really hard, I think, to put dance on the screen. And um it, it's not necessarily easy. Dance is so kinetic. Dance is so much about movement. But of course, so is filmmaking. So is cinema. Cinema, it, it is called motion pictures for a reason, because up to that point motion had not been captured you know we had still photography we had painting we had books but we did not have a way to capture motion and that is what films do they capture movement and so dance similarly is about movement and and the human body in motion but when you think of a dance when you're watching it in a theater you only It's like theater in that it only exists in the moment that it's created and it's only witnessed by the audience that is there to see it. Whereas a film can be watched over and over and over again, a film is a trace. It leaves a trace. It is a capsule in a way and it can be reproduced and it can be watched over and over again. Whereas what a dancer does exists in the moment and may not be reproducible and it may not exist beyond the moment at which it is created and witnessed. And so there's a certain sense of immortality for a filmmaker, I think, and there is a way in which cinema is a long-lasting art form, as long as your films are preserved. I mean, you think of all the silent films that were lost all you know there's been so many great classic silent films especially that have been destroyed because they were made i think on certain a certain kind of material that sort of decomposes over time and you know you think about all the films that we've lost so it's not necessarily an immortal art form but it's it's a bit different than what a dancer does right so it's sort of interesting to think about dancing and filmmaking and how those art forms are very different and, and why a filmmaker would be attracted to dancing, That it that it does require different skills than what you might have as a filmmaker, that it takes, obviously it takes physical stamina. But it's also very intimate. You know, when you're a filmmaker, you're working with a lot of different people to make a film happen. When you're dancing, you're only working with one person. It's much more concentrated. It's much more intense and intimate. It's you and another human body in motion together. And... I... I, Yeah, I wonder why she was attracted to tango, but... It's interesting to see her as this very powerful woman and how it's hard for her in a way to follow when she's used to being the one in charge and the one who calls the shots and um, and putting herself in a position where she has to follow and she has to submit and she's just in a different position but obviously that interested her and she was interesting, uh, interested in looking at the power dynamics within that and within that relationship of the tango. And so I think that's really interesting, actually, now that I think about it. but um I' I'm, I'm just looking through my nose to see if there's sort of anything else. oh, yeah, the soundtrack. The soundtrack to this film is really, really good. There's tango music, obviously. But then there's also these sort of ambient instrumental sections that has like a woman's voice just making sounds or something. And it's like, there's something very haunting about it and very beautiful. It gives the film a certain depth. And I think Potter, Sally Potter, was actually involved in the Uh, in composing the music and she was involved in that as well I really liked the soundtrack actually I was looking for it on Spotify but you can't listen to the whole soundtrack you can only stream like maybe five songs you have to buy the actual physical CD to hear every single song on the soundtrack but I'll be listening to what I can because I just really enjoyed that soundtrack. I also just appreciated just the innovation and the creativity of this film. That I, I can't stress enough that this is not your average, run-of-the-mill dance film. This is not like, "Shall We Dance," you know. This this is about an older woman. I, I didn't really mention that at the beginning, but she is, I, I would say Potter was like 46 years old when she did this film and Pablo's probably in his thirties. So you also have an older woman and a younger man dynamic, um, which is a bit taboo even today. So I appreciated that this film was about an older woman sort of exploring this other part of herself And and that it's not, it's not cliche, and it's not what you expect at all. It's art house. I would definitely say it's art house cinema. It's, it's about dance. It's about tango, but it's done in a very creative, interesting way. It's in black and white. As I say, some of the scenes are in color when she's writing her script, and she's imagining scenes in her script. Those are in color. But everything else is in black and white, which I think is very interesting for a movie from 1997. It's whimsical. Like I say, the dance scenes are very, um, sort of out of the ordinary. They're in the rain, or they're at the airport, or they're in an empty restaurant. There's not a lot of dialogue, or what dialogue there is is very interesting. And the different things that, um... That Sally and Pablo talk about. But I wouldn't say there's a ton of dialogue. It's much more about. I think silence. And about the dancing. Obviously. And the language of two bodies in motion. And um. I just. I love this idea of like. This woman. Having these tango lessons. And um and then also trying to write her film and then in the process of the film you realize that the film she was writing is the film that you're watching you know that this was semi-autobiographical so perhaps she learned tango from Pablo and in the course of learning tango from him said oh well I'll make a film about you or I'll do a film and I'll put you in it and so you realize that life and art are being fused together that art is imitating life and vice versa that the two are intimately or, or intricately woven together in this film and so it's it's an intellectual film in that way and yet it's also i think a film about passion and desire and about connection and intimacy and just the fun of dance and the joy of dance and how um how life-affirming dance can be and how um and how it can show us things about human relationships about power relations between men and women so it's it's an artistic film it's creative it's interesting and um And like I say, it was was really a joy to watch. And it took my mind off of some really difficult things going on in the world right now. So sometimes we need that. I mean, obviously we need to be paying attention. We need to be focusing, of course, on what's happening right now. But we are, at the end of the day, only individuals. And there's only so much we can do. And so I think we're living in a difficult and an unprecedented time for a lot of us. And I think self-care is important. I don't think it's a way to to deny what's happening or to disconnect from what's happening. But I think if you have mental health issues, I think if you have physical health issues like I do... Um, I think when you have those things you have to find a way to survive because you are very vulnerable especially to an administration like this. Um, You're part of a vulnerable population and you have to take care of yourself. You have to find a way to get through each day and to survive and to do what you can. And that's okay and I think you can give yourself permission to do that. That even when this horror is happening, and even when scary things are happening, it's okay if you have to step back from it. And obviously being able to step back is a form of privilege, and I understand that. That Some people are on the front line, some people can't escape it, some people can't take a step back from it, and I get that, you know. But, as I say, I have mental and physical health issues, and I have to... I have to preserve my health. I have to preserve my sanity in some way and I have to find a way to survive. And so films are a big part of that. They're a very major part of that. So, I watch these films. I watch them in order to access other worlds and to um it's not I wouldn't call it a distraction. It's more about it's more about just giving myself something else to focus on something to think about something to go deeper into and there's just something about this film there's really a hidden power to it a hidden depth there's something there's some magic about it i don't it it's i think it's everything together the black and white the story the soundtrack there's just something uh, under the surface of this film that's very powerful and very magical very enchanting, and I think it sort of puts you under a spell as you're watching it. And I would definitely be seeking out more of Sally Potter's work. As I say, I may try to watch Orlando after I've read the book, because I tend to prefer to read a book before I watch the film adaptation. So if I do that, maybe I'll do an episode. But I'm definitely gonna see seek out more of Sally Potter. I know she has a film called Yes, where it's only done in poetry. Which is so interesting. I love filmmakers like this. Actually, I love filmmakers like Sally Potter, like Jane Campion, who I really feel like do really interesting, extraordinary things. And, I mean, think about it. Doing a whole film that's done in verse and poetry. I mean... Who does that? And and adapting a book like Orlando, which from what I've heard is is just was almost seen seen as impossible to even do something like that. So I think Sally Potter she seems like a very daring sort of filmmaker who is very experimental, who's very artistic, you know, and so that really intrigues me. Her work intrigues me. So I definitely hope to explore more of it. I'm really glad I watched this and I'm really glad I could do an episode about it and maybe get you interested in it, but it's one of those films to watch when you need a pick-me-up or when you need something, um, light but not lacking in depth or artistry or, um, substance. You know, there's a lot there and, um, I really did enjoy it. But um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And I will stop here. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.